Hey, this is Jilly Woodhouse on the Osteo Business Podcast, talking all things osteo business. Here's Jilly Woodhouse, an author, speaker, award-winning business coach, and passionate advocate of osteopathy. Today, I'm thinking about what drives us, what's behind what we do for work every day. And I was thinking about myself, obviously, and I'm going to come to you shortly. But I was thinking, what drives me? Why am I so obsessed (laughs) with helping you? What is it that's behind all of that? And I think it basically comes from a place of service. I think that's always been within me. And I'm going to hazard a guess here that probably is a good deal of what drives you as well, is service to others. And I thought about, you know, my journey through life. And I've always been in areas of service, really. I I started out in secretarial back in the day. Um, And so, of course, that would be serving my boss, supporting him, making life as easy for him as possible, thinking ahead, and I, I was a very, very fast typist, 80 words a minute. And I used to see how much I could get done in advance for him. You know, I was always pushing, <laughs> pushing to be quicker and quicker, get things out for him. Um, I worked in a law company, first of all, in Shrewsbury, where I'm from. And um, yeah, that was all about service to him, but also service to our clients you know, giving them the very best experience I could. So customer service was was kind of within me naturally, really. Plus, before that, as a teenager, I'd worked in Marks and Spencer as a Saturday girl and holiday cover, etc. So um, you know, that was obviously all based around um, customer service, customer experience, um, doing whatever, you know, going the extra mile to make sure they got what they needed. Um so, yeah, that's always been a part of who I am. Um, and going forwards, you know, in different fields I've worked in, which have all, interestingly, those different strands, those different areas have all come together to um, enhance what I do right now. So I've worked in commercial property in the West End of London. I've worked in recruitment um, setting up from scratch in London as well, serving those commercial agents because I could see they were being very poorly served by the big recruitment companies. It was shocking service and very expensive shocking service. So I massively undercut them and, and began with an empty desk and very soon built up a, a good little business there uh, before I had my children. But then after that, I still was serving. I worked for my ex-husband's law firm, um, retrieving um, money that they had allowed to build up. So clients owed them. I think it was about, I think it was nearly two million pounds in client debt. I mean, how crazy is that? Um, And so whilst I had the children at home, I, um, you know, when they were at nursery or sleeping or whatever, I would um, get on the phone and very, very gently tickle, I call it, tickled the 
uh, money out of them that they owed. You know, they'd had the service and they'd never paid. And they, this law firm is, must have been the only one in the country that didn't ask for funds up front. Um, so, yeah, shocking, um, shocking business. Uh, and, you know, I could see that. I, I wanted to go in and sort their business out. And if I sort of did in the end in one way and another. Um, but, yeah, and then we ended up going out to Athens to open up a law firm out there. And, um, you know, doing the credit control, I'd already got a million pounds in for them. Doing that credit control work was uh, um, starting to get a bit boring, frankly, because I'm very entrepreneurial and I've got a very creative mind. And so, um, you know, I found the challenge of that exciting, first of all, and, and providing like excellent service to um, the law firm and in order to get their money back. But, um, yeah, it became a bit dull and, um, yeah, it, it wasn't very exciting. And we were going through, that was early, uh, 2000s. We were going through a bit of a economic dip then. And so, um, and they weren't thriving, as you might imagine. So they were looking for hands to go up for redundancy. So mine shot up, let me tell you. <laughs> I thought, let them get on with that because it, their their uh, long-term outcome didn't look too good to me. Um, and sure enough, they did eventually uh, get bought out um, by another firm and they disappeared, sadly. But um, at least they weren't looking quite so bad <laughs> when, they, when they looked at the books. But anyway, yeah, whilst I was out in Athens, of course, if you know anything about my story, I spotted another niche and that was um, that there was no ready meals out there. Literally, the supermarkets were full of raw ingredients, you know, which is, I mean, really the right way to go about things. Um, I love cooking, so I'm very happy to make things from scratch. But there was a lot of people out there that were used to having maybe someone else cook for them in their own home country, or they had, you know, Marks and Spencers and Waitrose and could buy really good quality, um, beautifully um, created ready meals of one sort and another. So perhaps it augmented what they did themselves. And so I started cooking because I'm a farmer's daughter and I always cooked at home big quantities, so it didn't bother me. Um, you know, I could make casseroles and beef wellingtons and curries and mince pies at Christmas from scratch and all sorts of things, sausages even. Um, and that was all again about service, if I think about it. I was serving the other expats from all over the world who found themselves in Greece, in Athens. And, um, you know, that was a problem they had. And I could see that I could create a very tasty solution to that problem. And people had dinner parties and all sorts with my food and claimed it was their own. I passed it off as their own, which I didn't mind, actually. That was part of my part of my pitch. I said, look, pretend it's yours. I don't mind. <laughs> Till one girl rang me frantically one night from her dinner party. She was out in the larder ringing me saying, Jilly, you've got to help me. This woman won't stop asking me for the beef Wellington recipe and I haven't got a clue where to start. <laughs> so I gave her most of the ingredients and let her go and tell the woman and, um, and continue <laughs> to pass it off as her own. That was funny. Um, but anyway, I ended up back in the UK because my youngest son had heart failure and a stroke and needed a heart transplant. 
as you may also know. And um, so life changed quickly. And fortunately, my friend Anne, the osteo, who was treating Toby's right side hemi, um, told me about the Roland Becker Institute, who were um, a, a group of cranial osteopaths who were doing CPD courses for um, post, you know, post-grad CPD courses. And they needed someone to help with marketing and um, filling the courses, etc., and doing all the delegate packs and reminders and all the rest of it, and organising the venues. And I was like, yes, just my cup of tea. And uh, once again, I went into service to to those um, those wonderful osteopaths that I worked with, absolutely amazingly skilled people. And the courses they put on were fabulous. Um, and it was on those courses when I was um, dishing up huge lunches for the delegates and chatting to them, etc. that, you know, so many of them were saying to me, I'm just not busy enough. And I was like, oh, well you know, what you're doing for marketing. And they're going, oh, I don't really know how to do that. And it would just, you know, it would just surprise me that um, they're so good at what they did and so highly skilled. Um, and they were learning, you know, even more about cranial, etc. And they didn't know how to get t- to reach out. They didn't know how to reach out to those potential patients who needed their help. And so that's how the word osteobiz dropped into my head early one morning and uh, here we are and that's what drives me now is is serving the osteopathic practice uh, profession rather um, as well as other manual therapies I think every manual therapy um, can help uh, people who are in pain and you know and I hate to think of people in pain I, I saw my own son goes through so much pain, um, well, in the last 26 years, enormous amount of pain, um, particularly when he was tiny, and it broke my heart. And then to be in Great Ormond Street, so much time I spent in there, um, and just witnessing so many other kids in pain or with uh, chronic conditions and problems um, and I used to want to stop the pain for them and, and for my own son of course and that's I think ultimately that's what that inner driver really has turned into is I just hate to see so much pain out there so many people stressed out in pain not knowing what to do, not really knowing how to resolve that. I'm constantly talking to people about going, like like I'm recommending an osteopath near them and I'm explaining to them and I'm saying it doesn't have to be like this, but they don't seem to get it. Um, They're so entrenched in the idea that they, you know, they need to see the GP and they need to get into the system. And, you know, someone with dreadful pain, back pain that I spoke to recently she said, oh, well, perhaps I just need to get an MRI scan and see what's happening. And I said, so much quicker if we just went and saw the osteopath for a couple of sessions. Get yourself sorted out. But they, yeah, the, the thinking's not there. Anyway, I digress. That's what drives me. So what drives you is my question. What's brought you to this point? And how can you start telling that story or those stories are probably uh, 
different aspects to the story. How could you start telling that in your marketing to help people connect with you? That you're not just a possibly a professional in a white jacket. What could you talk about in your marketing? It's not just about what you do, who you help, etc. It's good for people to be able to connect with you and understand how you can help them, what you've been through yourself. Because sometimes um, some osteopaths, of course, have had health issues themselves, which has led them to osteopathy, or there might be a particular reason why you've ended up in the profession you're in. But it's really good to tell your story about it. And that that's massive connection with your community. So um, I'd love to know what your story is as well. So you're very welcome to drop me an email and tell me, julie at osteobiz.com. Um, but do tell your community about it. What drives you? Thanks for listening to the Osteo Business Podcast. Remember to like, follow and subscribe on all Jilly's channels, which can be found in the show notes. Jilly's back soon with more tips, ideas and strategies to build your thriving practice.